I'm John Davidson. When is one game show not just one game? When it's Time Machine and it's many different games. Make a date with Time Machine premiering Monday. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind, I give you Super Train. Episode 329, submission 402, Time Machine. Time Machine aired on NBC Daytime from January 7th to April 26th, 1985, for 80 episodes. Today, a brand new car could go to the player who can tell us when West Side Story won the Oscar for Best Picture. Join us as we take a journey back through time on Time Machine. And now, here's John Davidson. Hello. Oh, isn't that nice? Thank you. It is Friday. We've had a great... We have given away a lot of stuff this week. Hey, guys. Do you enjoy Prices Right? Do I? Why, yes. Yes, I do. Super. Do you guys enjoy history? Yes. Do I? Well, guys, we have the perfect show for you. What happens when you mix The Price is Right and history? You get Time Machine. Doesn't sound so much fun. Price is Right with years. That's got to be the one-line pitch to Brandon Tartikoff right there. Price is right with history. Mix Price is right with history. You get this piece of crap. Greg, this might be a piece of crap, but it's the first game show hosted by a certain individual. Hey, Shadow Stevens, can you tell us who that is? Oh, we're going to get so much mileage out of that this week. He sounds angry. He's angry. He has to introduce John Davidson all the time. I knew that way too after the first week. No, not this host again. Someone find Peter Marshall. I want a new host. Peter Marshall! No, that doesn't work. No, remember? Larry Bud Melvin was guesting that one segment of Hollywood Squares. Remember that? Yes. Yes, I do. Or we could get Alf. Remember he did, I think it was the Christmas week. Oh, yeah. Did Mr. I, I Game Show that. help him? I don't know if it was necessarily helped him, but I remember that was where Mr. Game Show was plugged. I remember seeing that. But yeah, I, I could hear Shadow Stevens. But yes, John Davidson's first gig as a game show host was this show. And it felt like it. It's not exactly the heavily scripted, heavily produced, rightly regimented gig that That's Incredible was. And he doesn't have Fran Tarkenton and Kathy Lee Crosby to make him look good either. Hey, they could have used Shadow Stevens on That's Incredible. That's Incredible! Oh, we're going to get mileage out of that. Not just Shadow Stevens saying John Davidson, but we're just going to talk like Shadow Stevens all episode. Hey, what network did Time Machine air on? NBC! So this show, this game show, is a quiz show that was the brainchild of one 
Bill Barr. And before you ask, no, not that one. Or the other Bill Barr. No, this was basically Bill Barr taking the prices right formula and adding it to news, current events, pop culture, and recent history. And by recent, we mean like from the 50s to 1984. Oh, it goes even further back than that. Watching some of the episodes, uh, doing show prep, which I do maybe about once every two, three months. There were events actually going back from what I saw as far as the 20s. But yes, this was basically created at a time where nostalgia for the good old days was at an all-time high, as is evidenced by the eventual rise of the Nostalgia Channel. Yes, that was a thing. And, oh yeah, and also Nick at Night. Was that the network that aired uh, Let's Go Back? Yes! Yes! Yes, it was. Jeez! Oh, no. No. We're, we, no. I know. Uh, I, we've got to cover that piece of crap, but oh, my God. Yeah, of course. That Ralph Gorman was a contestant on it. Well, Ralph Gorman was a contestant on it, but also Scott Sternberg hosted it. Oh, God! Scott... Yeah. Okay, well, okay, right there. Scott Sternberg hosted it. With his 80s man perm. Yeah. Yeah, with that sort of like 80s mullet, which was like really greasy. I'm not saying that Scott Sternberg is a greasy person, but his mullet was very greasy. Oh, and speaking of uh, Scott Sternberg, I don't know if you guys know this. He's been doing this for 50 years at least because I remember seeing his uh, name attached to the credits of Celebrity Sweepstakes. But he's still doing stuff now. He actually has a new show on called iCrime with uh, Elizabeth Vargas. That's his production company, and he's in the credits, his name. Wow. Oh, wow. So he must be, gosh, he's got to be close to 75, 80 years old at this point, and he's still churning out TV shows. You know what? We should all be so lucky to uh, have a long and fruitful career, because remember, this is the guy that brought back Catch-21 with the help of Meryl Heater. But we're not here to talk about Let's Go Pack. We're here to talk about who's that again, Shadow? We're going to hear that the rest of this episode. Oh, my God. Oh, but yes. Oh, but yes. So John Davidson was the host, and announcing him would be L.A. DJ Charlie Tuna, with an occasional substitute for one or two weeks by Rich Jeffries. Had Charlie Tuna started on Scrabble yet? I want to say no. Because yeah, Jay Stewart was doing it, right? Jay Stewart was doing both Scrabble and Sale of the Century at the time. It was one of three Reg Grundy shows, two of which were announced by Jay Stewart at the time. And doing a little quick research, Scott Sternberg is only seventy-two. Oh, yeah, I, I actually found information about Scott Sternberg online. Seventy-two, born in November of nineteen fifty. Wow. He, he's been do, in the business for close to 50 years, and he's still going reasonably strong. I mean, again, like you said, he's still with us. He, he's still vertical and doing work. So more power to him. More power to him indeed, yes. But 
once again, we're not here to talk about him. We're here to talk about Okay, so what is Time Machine? Well, it's a quiz show with a bunch of game thematic elements. You see a lot of clock-related wordplay, as we'll find out when we go over the actual games played. But each game consists of three players, one a returning champion, and they all competed in a group of mini-games. Every game they won put a prize in their prize bank. And the winner gets to keep all of the prizes in their prize bank and go on to the bonus rounds where they could win a grand prize, usually a car. And that's all there is to it as far as bare bones goes, but you probably want all of the details of the games and whatnot. Well, of course, that's why we're here. All right. Well, let me tell you. There were at least six mini-games used in the Time Machine. The first one is Tube Game, in which a year is given to the players. The contestant was shown pictures of two shows, and John Davidson provided the names of said shows. The contestant had to pick which one of those was airing in the given year. This was done three times, once for each of the big three networks at the time. ABC, CBS, and NBC. You would think that they would do NBC first, because... Obviously. But a right answer with the corresponding network wins a prize behind that network. If the contestant captures all three, they add all three prizes to the prize bank. But if they only captured, like, one or two, that would go into the prize bank. The second game was Three in a Row, which is basically trivia about a given decade with each of the nine years in that decade arranged on a tic-tac-toe board. Math teacher jumping in here. We know there's I know ten... there are ten years in a decade. There's ten only... years in a decade, but I just wanted to add, they did not use the year that ends in zero in that decade. They just used... Let's say 1951, 52, 53, all the way to 59. Right. Before the game, the player puts three poison cards in a row on the board. And he or she was shown nine events. The contestant picked an event and the year in which it happened. If three in a row was achieved, a prize was added to the bank. But for lighting up three years in a row diagonally, a bigger prize was added to the bank. But if the three squares in a row were the poison cards, that was a loss. The poison cards were eventually eliminated, and the events were written on cards drawn from a podium two at a time. Players picked an event from the two choices, and the year it happened lit up. Each time an event was chosen, another event replaced it. The game continued until they got three in a row. The contestant loses if he or she lit three in a row diagonally. Lighting three in a row across or up and down still added a prize to the prize bank. Our third game is 
as time goes by. The game was played with a giant money clock. The contestant was given one three-spin and three photos of the same celebrity. The contestant has to guess what year each photo was taken. If the guess was within five years of each exact answer, they get another spin. After all of the photos are played, the player takes their spins to the game clock. They take at least a good three or five seconds to look at the game clock to see how fast it was going. Then, by a blind buzzer, they would try to hit the red area. Hitting the red area won the player a prize in their prize bank. If they can't do it in the allotted number of spins, they lose. The fourth game was Before and After. The player was given $200 at a base year. Your job is to guess whether an event happened before or after that year. Correct guess doubles the money. If you are wrong, the money stays put. Either way, the year of that event became the new base year. That was repeated two more times, along with one final event. Now, before the final event, you could take the money in the bank and put it in your prize bank, or you could play it for double or nothing. If you guess correctly, the money is doubled and it goes in your prize bank. But if you guess wrong, no money in your prize bank. So if you do it right, you can turn $200 into $3,200. The next game is Sweet 16, which is sort of like their answer to Lucky 7. The player was given 16 $100 bills and shown up to four old products. The player has to guess what year was introduced. For each year, their guess was off. They lost a $100 bill. Now, the first three products of the four were given specific ranges, but the final one had no range. At the end of the game, whatever money is left, as long as there is $100 at least, will be added to the prize bank, as well as a prize. And then there's the main event. A base year is given, along with five categories. The contestant picks the category that they were the least comfortable with, and instantly won that category. Then they picked from the remaining categories one by one. Each category had one question relating to the base year, and each question had two possible answers. Guessing right wins the category. Guessing wrong lost it. After all five categories are played, the contestant would select the categories that they've earned, revealing clues to the main event, which occurred in that year. Guessing the main event wins $5,000 in the prize bank, with $1,000 deducted for each subsequent clue revealed. And at the end of the minigames came the time capsule rounds with the three players who played their games given five events from a certain year. Final event is a clip from a popular song from that year. Each player locked in a year which they thought was the correct year all of the events took place before giving their guess. Then 
John Davidson gives the correct year, and the player with the closest year, high or low, wins the game, keeps all of the cash and prizes in their prize bank, and becomes Time Machine champion. Hold on, wait a second. Who did you say uh, there? You said... Thanks, Shadow. Yeah, we're getting our money's worth this episode. Hey, you know what I'll say one in early episodes? A thousand dollars! Just doesn't have the same pop, does it? Unfortunately, no. No. Well, let's talk about the bonus round, which focuses on headlines from certain years. Now, there are two versions of the bonus round, which suffers from early installment weirdness. In early installments, there was one final question with four possible events. The player's job is to choose the event which happened in the given year to win a jackpot prize package valued at $20,000. This did not play unless the contestant guessed correctly exactly to the year in the time capsule round. Otherwise, we get this version. We have a base year, and four events that may or may not have happened in that year. The champion's job is to guess whether each event occurred before or after that given year. Each correct answer moves on to the next event, an incorrect answer ends the game. If the champion could get all four questions right, they won the jackpot prize package, plus a cash jackpot, which started at $1,000 and grew by 1000 For each day, it was not won. And for a while, it seems like this game could stands to be a little more, uh, how can I put this? Simplified. Less derivative? Less derivative. Well, it did get some changes, and really not that long into the run. There's actually two episodes online from this original version, from the premiere and also from the Friday episode of the first week. But this version didn't last that long because there's an episode from late February of 1985. I think February 22nd of 1985. So that would have been like literally a month and a half into the run. And there's a totally different format. You don't have three contestants going up against each other. Really, if you think about it, it's sort of not like half an hour of the price is right, where three contestants go against each other in individual games and then play a determining round where one of them is going to go on to the big prize. Oh, did we not notice the parallel there? The first format is basically the price is right, but with years. And instead of a showcase showdown, you have this, uh, this guess the year round. How could it not be so obvious? Kind of, sort of. But again, as I said, within the first month and a half, total format overhaul. You don't have three contestants each playing their own, not pricing game, their own history game, if you will. What you have is you have two contestants now, and they're playing for the opportunity to play a champion and play for a car. Yeah, they uh, eliminated the cash jackpots all over the place and just replaced the uh, final round grand prize with a car. And actually, uh, Wikipedia, 
it says that this started on February 11th. So we would be looking at five weeks of the first format. Yeah, I mean, it, it debuted January 7th. So that's five weeks later, you have a overhauled format. So the first format was basically 25 of the 80 shows. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it didn't get much better. I mean, it was definitely less derivative, we can say that. So, uh, yeah, now, as I said, two contestants battle each other for the right to play against the champion. And no big prize packages. It's just a car. And from some of the episodes I've seen, it's like a, a, a convertible, a Fiero, some like twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 vehicle. Not bad for back in 1985. So you had these two players going against each other in a set of three games. And really, the games are more or less the same. There, there's a few little differences. Uh, and actually, they sort of took a page out of the Name That Tomb book, where the first two games were worth a point, and the last one was worth two. And then if they were tied after three games, they did a tiebreaker. So that sort of reeks of Name That Tune, where oh, Melody Roulette's worth 10 points, and Tune Topics is worth 10 points, and Bit of Notes worth 20, and whoever is the most goes on and... Oh, and also, hey, that was also this season, 1984-85. Oh, yeah. Another, I, well, this is just ripoff on top of ripoff. Not only did they you know, try taking the prices right and the format and whatnot and you know, put years to it, but now the second version has the scoring from Name That Tune, which premiered that previous fall. Reg Grundy, I'm sorry, you don't have... Uh, an original bone in your body. You're taking from here and taking from here and taking from here and, and putting it into a, a Vitamix and, and mixing it up and turning it into this. But hey, let's talk about some of these games. Like I said, uh, there were still six games. And actually what they did is they had two lineups and they alternated days. So uh, on one day, you'd have the lineup of three games uh, in the same order, never changed order-wise. And then uh, the next day, you had the second order. And then the next day after that, you'd go back to the first lineup and so on and so forth. So the first lineup had as time goes by as the first game. And uh, the as time goes by game was pretty much similar to an extent as to the first format. Obviously, with two people playing back and forth, they had to make some changes. So one player gave the year that they thought a certain photo was taken, and simply the other contestant said, before or after. And whoever got it right got one spin on that money clock, and three pictures were played, and the contestants went to the money clock and won whatever they got on the wheel. And I'm going to assume the first point for winning the game was whoever got two spins right. It wasn't necessarily who had the most money because one contestant could have gotten $1,000 and a contestant with two spins could have gotten two zeros. According to Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, both contestants kept any money won during the battles with the one that made the most money winning the game and the point. Well, that's not terribly fair if uh, you got two right but got no money, and some just dumb luck got $1,000. This is so broken. I'm sorry. And this exact scenario did happen on an episode available on YouTube. 
Somebody got two spins and only won like $300 or $400, while the person who only got one spin won 1000 and won the point. Still unfair. Let's try game two. Let's see if that gets any better. It's the tube game again. And again, you're given a year and you've got your three networks and they talk about a show on each of those three networks in that year. Uh, the object is to get to five points. And we know there's only three shows there. But to fill up the rest of the time to get to five points, contestants answer questions about those shows. So first to five wins the point. We go to the third game, which is the jukebox game. And again, it's uh, music related. Uh, you're given a song. You have to identify what year it's from. And uh, first to get uh, three points wins the game and the prize. After the four jukeboxes were played, if it was a 2-2 tie, there was a song given and they had uh, to identify the artist to win the point and win the game. So whoever had the most points goes on to play against the champion. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Let's get to the second lineup and then we'll talk about uh, the main event, as it were. So the second lineup, the first game was called On the Button. And it's a new game, but the set that was used, the, the set piece, was just recycled from Sweet 16. So I think we're seeing a little more cheapness here, just saying. So an event was given and one player guessed what year it happened in. Uh, getting it exactly on the nose got a point. And if they were wrong, your host would say, is it before or after? And if that contestant was wrong, they went back to the original contestant and did higher alert. It's sort of like clock game, but with years. Again, more derivative. So whoever got three points right, uh, won the game, got a prize. Game two is three in a row again. And it was just like last time, uh, you had a tic-tac-toe board with different years from a certain decade. Again, uh, one through nine. No zeros in this. Uh, three spaces were marked with a star. And uh, that made up what was called the magic three in a row. Uh, one player was given two events from that decade. The contestant picked an event. And whatever year it uh, occurred in was filled on the board. A new event took that place, and the next contestant continued, did the same thing. Picking a space in the magic three in a row won $100. And that was the contestants, regardless of how they did in the game. The contestant who lit up the third space in the magic three in a row won the game and a prize. So any three in a row here really didn't matter. You had to get that specific three in a row. Next game was called uh, the main event. Uh, you're given a base year along with five categories. Like we said earlier, you get a $200 pot to begin with. Contestants uh, alternated picking categories, each one having a question with two possible answers. Correct answer adds 200 to the pot. After all the categories were played, there were clues to a main event revealed one at a time. Oh my gosh, more derivativeness. It's sort of like Super Password where these clues lead to the event that happened in a certain year. There's like no originality on this show. So uh, the first person to guess that main event won the game and won the money in the pot. And then regardless of what lineup you had on a given day, after you get the day's winner from those two players, they go to the challenge round, which was played just like the time capsule round in the first format, except just two players. But again, you were given 
five events from a certain year, and, and you had a song in there, and you had to identify the year. Uh, closest to the right answer won the game. If they were tied, they actually went to a tiebreaker question. And at that point, they went to the bonus round, and the bonus round changed a little bit. It was very similar to the second bonus round, but you were just playing for a car. You weren't playing for a increasing prize package and a jackpot and a whole slew of prizes. It was just straight up for a car. Again, you're given a target year before and after, and you had to declare whether it was before or after that year. Four in a row right, you won the car. However, as the returning champion, if you won the next day, the number of these before or after questions that you had to answer to get right to win the car went down by one. So if you won the second day, you only had to get three. Third day, you had to get two. Fourth day, you had to get one. And if you didn't get that one on the fourth day, if you came back for the fifth day, you automatically won the car. And taking a page out of Now You See It's Playbook from uh, the 70s, if you won the car, the person who you beat in the challenge round became the champion. That was a lot. But in any event, once a player wins the car, they're done. Oh, they're done, yeah. They've taken Reg Grundy for enough money at that point. So we talked about oh that guy. Just say it, Shadow. Just one more time. Get it out of your system. So we talked about him quite a bit this episode. Oh, my gosh. That never gets old. I love it. So we said that John Davidson, this is his first hosting gig. Boy, did it show. Chico and I were talking before we started recording, and we both saw the episode from February of 1985 I mentioned earlier. And he just, like, had uncontrollable laughter and really, I don't want to say he came up as unprofessional, but, I mean, he, he sort of had similar vibes to Hollywood Squares, but he was at least a little more polished on Hollywood squares. He tried. I mean, that's what we can say is he, he tried his best. I'm sure. I have the clip if you want to hear it. Oh, Oh, we definitely have the clip. Yes. We're definitely putting it in here. This is John Davidson in the middle of the tube game. So, you know, they're actually trying to win this game. They're, they're neck and neck and John just absolutely loses it. And just, Listen, this is crazy. Now, questions about those three shows. Each one is worth one point. It is now two to one. First one to get to five wins. Hands in your buzzers. Lou Grant was a spin-off character from an earlier TV series. Yes, Lou. Leo. Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore, yes. I got mixed up with Lou Grant. You got another point. It is a tie game. Oh, we played this right down to the wire. On the love boat, who plays the captain? Yes, Leo. Gavin McCloud. Gavin McCloud is right. It is three to two. First way to get the five wins. The Love Boat's bartender is played by... Te yes, Leo. Isaac Hayes. Uh, wrong. Interesting. Interesting. I'll finish the question. Ted Lange. It goes over to you, Deborah, of course. In his character named... Minis is his character named Minnesota Fats, Joe Montana, Tana, or Isaac Washington? Isaac Washington. Isaac Washington is right. You've got three points. It is still a tie game. On the good players, on the facts of life, who plays house mother Edna Garrett? Is it Charlotte Ray, Alice Faye, or Helen Hayes? Yes, Leo. You need an answer. 
Charlotte Fay. Charlotte Fay is wrong. I, can I accept that? No, I cannot. Goes over to you. Is it Charlotte Ray, Alice Fay, or Helen Hayes, Deborah? Charlotte Fay. No, it is not. Next question. It is Charlotte Ray. I can't help you any more than that. Next question. The, it is a tie game. The Facts of Life. The character played by Kim Fields was a ra has a rather odd name. Is it sh is she Flutie, Cootie, or Tootie? Yes, Leo. Flutie. No. <laughs> yes, it is. It is Tootie. Yes. Isn't television intelligent? Yes. It is Tootie. Who comes up with these names? All right, Deborah, you got four, you got three, you got three, Leo. Deborah, you could win the game right here. Leo, hang in there. The photographer on Lou Grant, was he called Animal Vegetable? Yes, Leo. Animal. Animal's right. It's a tie game at 4-4. All right. Now, we, you guys are great. This is right down to the wire. It's 4-4. It's 4-4. Whoever gets this next one has won the game. You win it, Leo. We got a tie. You win it, Deborah. Who would name a character Tootie or Flutie? It's just, all right. This is very important. Now, this is for the game. Listen up close. The purser on Love Boat has a strange nickname. Yes, Leo. Gopher. Gopher is right. Leo, you won the game. Congratulations. Yeah, John. <laughs> Again, you tried. You tried. Bless your heart, you tried. And for the record... Her real first name is Dorothy. Tootie? Tootie Ramsey's real first name is Dorothy. I didn't know that. But yeah, this uh, show. Well, obviously it didn't last long. The competition. I don't even know if we should be going over the competition. The competition absolutely I, demolished it, obviously. Well, I can tell you the competition. ABC was pretty much airing whatever syndicated show was airing at the 10 o'clock hour. I mean, this is probably the age of Our Magazine with Gary Collins or whatnot, or Donahue or whatever. But CBS, oh boy. CBS was airing the $25,000 pyramid. You're not beating Dick. Good night, everybody. Hey, pervert. I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, I did. <laughs> But and yeah, that, I mean, and Greg nods in agreement. <laughs> yeah, I noticed he's gotten very quiet over there. He just can't wait to say John Davidson again. Get it, just do it now, Greg. John Davidson. Do you feel better? Yes. Good, good, good. But yeah, double entendre or otherwise, you're not beating the pyramid. Sorry, no, nope. not happening. No, not in this lifetime or any other. And the thing of it is, that 10 o'clock half hour, that would be the half hour that sets the tone for the rest of the schedule. Because at 10.30, you get Jim Perry in Tale of the Century. At 11, you get Pat and Banna in the wheel. 11.30, you get Chuck Woolery in Scrabble. And you round out the game show block with Burt Convy and Super Password. That 10 o'clock hour was basically the uh, slot of death for NBC. They could not find a show to go into it until, I want to say, Classic Concentration aired. 
Uh, that was 10.30. Oh, my mistake. They must have moved sales to Century. Something got moved. I'm pretty sure it was 10.30. I remember recording it at 10.30 back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, classic concentration, that is. Yeah. Well, also, we talked about this previously because what else aired at 10 a.m.? Uh, on NBC before Sale of the Century or what have you moved to 10 o'clock. We talked about it a while ago. Your number's up. But yeah, I mean, if you just go through uh, the shows from 84 to like 87, I mean, you had Facts of Life reruns for uh, a, quite a while there. Looks like uh, the entirety of 1984 and even obviously the, the first week of 1985 until Time Machine premiered. But then after Time Machine failed, Facts of Life are back there. And the Facts of Life were there until July of 85 when Silver Spoons reruns aired. And then that was for roughly 13 weeks, 12 weeks, and then you had your numbers up. And then it was Family Ties reruns. Well, might as well use these reruns that you've got accumulating. And also, at this point, all these shows are still in the air, so what do you have to lose? And the Family Ties reruns would continue until winter of 1986-87 when Sales the Century moved out of 10.30 and to 10 o'clock to make room for blockbusters. And the rest is history, as they'd say. Not necessarily, you know, long history, but it still ran another two years there. I see what you did there, by the way. I didn't do anything, so I don't know what you're talking about. The rest is history. That was unintentional. That was clever as hell, though. Well, it couldn't have been that clever if I didn't mean to say it. But regardless, like I said, uh, Sale of the Century stayed there uh, through the end of its run. So, yeah, over two years at 10 o'clock, it, it essentially is kind of like sort of history-ish. But you know what's really history, guys? What? What's that? This show. This should be forgotten history. Well, before you bury it in the time capsule, uh, Greg, I think you have something? Yeah. How have we gone this long without talking about the one reason we're talking about this show? Are you talking about in the premiere episode? Oh, yes, uh, I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little promise that John was, uh, not necessarily a promise, but so, some high hopes that he had. Oh, yes, he had very high hopes for this show. John, would you please? If you're watching us for the first time, maybe you don't know, this is our very first show, but we plan to be here for a very long time. You see, it may look like, yeah, I've got one guy is excited about that. <laughs> one guy. One guy is excited about this. And yet, know what his name is? Shadow? Now, wait a second. My takeaway, we plan to be here a very long time. He didn't say we're going to be here a very long time. We plan to be here a very long time. Well, guess what there, John? Time to find plan B. (laughs) But let's look at John's hair. Isn't John's hair magnificent? John's hair is the stuff of legends. Even to this day. Yeah, he's got a very massive head of hair. And even today, have you seen he's like grown his hair out and he's oh, it's yeah. totally silver? Oh, oh yeah. He takes he, he takes good care of his hair. 
Oh, he, he looks like a, like a 75-year-old hippie nowadays. Probably is. Yeah, and you know, just based on how he looks, probably spent uh, his entire uh, inheritance of his kids, and he's living his best life down in, like, Key West, you know, sitting on the beach drinking uh, pina coladas all day. You know that's what... Well, no, he's not really doing that, because he's still on the road, I believe, doing different shows. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, doing Broadway and off-Broadway, yeah. So he's definitely living his best life, even if this lasted 13 weeks or so uh, back almost 40 years ago. Well, it didn't last a very long time, but it lasted a very long time in our hearts. Oh, I feel that one, Greg. I feel it right there. Bit of trivia from IMDb about this show. The crew reportedly referred to this show as Overtime Machine due to the length of time each episode took to produce. From gathering facts to, I believe, Mike, you said this entire set was on a track of some sort? Well, yeah, if you saw the show, instead of having like doors like how The Price is Right would open, how they'd open uh, horizontally, this would actually open vertically. So you had like, imagine you had these columns and they're about as wide as maybe a window. So let's say three feet each or four feet each. And they went up and down and they went up and down in unison. And apparently the tracks of those, there were a lot of issues. Think about like your garage door. Have you ever had the issue where the uh, wheel gets out of alignment out of the track? And it just stops like halfway. That's more or less what's happening here. Now I think we can put this show away in the time capsule. Chico, do you have any final thoughts? Well, what can we say about Time Machine? They had plans for it to last a very long time. They were hoping to make history themselves. They ended up just making another thing on TV. Well, I guess we should put the time machine back in the shop or leave it to the pros. Leave it to those boys who know how to run the TARDIS. That's really the only time machine we need around here. The TARDIS. Or a DeLorean. Yeah, those are the only two real time machines. Oh, wait. That's right. You know what the third one is? The phone booth from Bill and Ted. Yeah, that's true. The phone booth from Bill and Ted. Although the phone booth from Bill and Ted is basically the same thing as like a TARDIS, except it's like a 1980s phone booth. And incredibly roomy. And by incredibly roomy, we mean no. It's not incredibly roomy at all. Well, before we fire this time machine back to 2022, we want to remind you that this episode and all of our other episodes are available on ItWasAThingOnTV.com and wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. Don't forget, like, subscribe, rate, review, Five stars only, because positive vibes only. Even though we know none of you rate it five stars, just go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. That's it. That's all you gotta do. Takes like five seconds. That's it. Yeah, remember, five stars only, because positive vibes only. We only have 17 of them. We need, like, a couple more. It'd be true, though. And also... If you're on YouTube, because we are also on YouTube, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our entries, including the one we have for this Thursday, 
with a man, a woman, they're both police officers, and they both share a deep, dark, sexy secret. They're married. We'll go into greater detail next time right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! You know, guys, you know what? I'm so glad this episode had a lot of... We plan to use that joke for a very, oh, very long, long time. time.